It's time for the Worker of the Week Award. On the job. And I love the people I'm working with. With Francis Leach. No taking care of business. It's On The Job, the podcast all about making your working life better. Francis Leach with you. How are you? Well, this week's pod, we're throwing a bit of a curveball at you. Instead of hearing from me doing an interview, you'll be hearing from two of my colleagues at the ACTU, two unionists and great people, Cleo Cruz and Emma Hartley. Now, they're here to talk to you about something called woke washing. Yes, woke washing. A bit of a newfangled concept but that will sound familiar to anyone who has worked for companies who market themselves as progressive but might not behave that way. Let's catch up with them. Cleo and Emma on the job. All right, well, this is on the job. Normally you would be expecting the voice of Francis Leach to be entering at this moment, but today we have a hostage takeover with... (laughs) Um, myself, Emma Hartley, and Cleo Cruz. We thought, given that it's sometimes a rare occasion to have two queer unionists in yeah. the room, we have a very uh, interesting topic of discussion for this week. We're looking at work washing in workplaces. Yeah, all the washings, the different types of washing. Yeah, so you have your, you know, your pink washing, which is when workplaces try and use kind of queerness as a mm. veil for some dodgy really behavior that occurs and just then you have marketing your, you know just the rainbows a, around mardi gras mm, mm-hmm. and what's the other one green washing i think is a big one at the moment huge very cool at the moment to yeah. wash your things in green <laughs> or you know wash coal if you're a conservative government um but clear do you want to introduce us to this term work washing so the idea of woke washing is basically just kind of co-opting you know social justice movements to increase sales to market to I guess, I guess what they're doing is trying to market to the us's of the world. Sometimes yeah. it works, but sometimes I'm noticing the younger audiences are becoming very like aware that that's what's happening, and it kind of turns them off, which is really, really good. <clears throat> yeah, I think a good example of that um, was during Black Lives Matter, um, and I think it's important to note here that woke actually originates from African-American um, communities and activist spaces. Mm-hmm. But we had that Jenna Pepsi oh ad. Oh, my God. Which, you know, took this moment, <sighs> this, you know, massive activist moment we'll see with Black Lives Matter over in the States, and then they decided that they'd like to, you know, make a pretty coin out of that. Oh, my God. That and was so cringeworthy. put a very capitalist celebrity into the spotlight and try and be like, hey, this is cool, activism's cool, drink it. Pepsi. That was, <laughs> that was crazy. She like cracks the Pepsi can open amidst this crowd that's protesting and everyone just like falls silent. The kind of like the, the focus comes in on Kendall Jenner and then the violence is in the, and all of it's over. Like all it took was for her to open a can of Pepsi. Yeah. And it ended violence in America. It was really quite powerful. Um, Well, yeah, so let's go back to the AAVE thing. So woke is, again, gets co-opted by the right as an insult for people like us in the progressive spaces, but also some people in the progressive spaces can, like, not like the term woke because it has that kind of connotation. Yeah, I think it has been mixed up with this kind of virtual signaling which is where kind of work washing does come into play mm-hmm. it's like are you really someone who is dedicated to you know progressive activism mm. are you really you know dedicated to actually seeing you know australia progress or are you just trying to make off yourself as a good person yeah yeah and, and make a bit of money yeah if yeah you're, if in, in a company kind of context make a bit of money but um 
Yeah, so the, the term woke has its history in African-American vernacular English and, yeah, as you said, those kinds of spaces. So we just wanted to kind of, like, have that bit of preamble because we don't want to be those people co-opting that term. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, like, Pepsi just went gangbusters with it. They didn't even try to be subtle. Yeah, I think that's it's easy, I think, in those particular moments to pick up when it's obviously, you know, a co-opting um, act that's taking place right in front of your eyes, especially mm-hmm. with such a blatant ad. But I think what's really <laughs> interesting is when you get, you know, companies who then may appear as very progressive, very yeah. left-leaning, um, who actually are using very similar tactics in a way mm-hmm. um, to try and woke-wash, quote-unquote, um, yeah. that company's particular um, dealings. Um, that may not be so obvious because they do such a great job marketing themselves as woke. Gosh, Emma, something tells me that you're talking from experience here. <laughs> I may or may not have, a few years back when I was a, a very young spirited thing, um, worked for a particular retail company, which mm-hmm. was and is somewhat unfortunately still known as a very... Um, progressive company mm-hmm. and I know quite a few people you know like ourselves on the left who actually shop at this company still believing that it's you know a good ethical place yeah. to yeah, buy which is really hard you know in a capitalist society that we live in and it was interesting because I was under the same impression when I started working there as a casual worker can I ask floor. did that have some part in you applying for that job oh absolutely um, I was looking around for summer jobs I think previously I'd worked for a jewellery store, I hated that. And I was just like, I need something that I care a little bit about, yeah. right? Where I can actually, you know, tell myself that this is, I'm not just completely committing sins in the world. Yeah. And I just decided that I was going to apply for this company. I made it past the interview rounds and I got in. It was great. It was really welcoming space. People used pronouns, respected them. Yeah. I had a couple of colleagues who were drag queens on the side. It was really fantastic, but then things fell apart pretty quickly. Wow. Like, how, how, how long were you working there before you noticed? So, I think because I was a casual worker, I was just there for six months. I was at the receiving end of kind of a lot of gossip and hearsay, mm-hmm. and it wasn't actually until after I left that a lot of that kind of got confirmed for me. Whoa. Um. It was actually just a bit after the pandemic started in 2020 that this particular company, they have a warehouse out in the west of Sydney and those workers had enough. They were fed up. They had a really toxic environment of sexual harassment. Mm. There were massive like WH&S issues. Um, And this was also a company that had a history of wage theft, Mm. which is ironic because one of their main selling points was how well it treated their workers we would turn away people on black friday being like no 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 we don't do those sales because we treat our workers right if wow. we do those sales they get the cut that's like meta woke washing that's like woke right? washing within woke washing and i believed it at the time i honestly did and yeah, then but you're not you're not to like you're not played a fool like it's it's really clever marketing because they've got so zillions of dollars to throw at really clever marketing yeah so what ended up happening well i think what was really interesting so despite the fact that i was working or rather had worked in a shop front metropolitan sydney and this warehouse was like way out in western sydney but we were all part of this facebook 
group. So that was the main kind of communication point between the warehouse workers, uh, the retail workers, and management were in there as well. Yeah. How this all came to light, what was happening on the warehouse floor in particular in 2020 was because a couple of warehouse workers put up a photo of this massive stockpile yeah. of products that they had pushed out under yeah. really atrocious conditions and essentially called out management and were demanding a pay rise. They demanded working conditions and the post got flooded with comments from people saying, I experienced this, I experienced this, management did not do this, they did not do this. I think what was great is that's when we realised how big the problem was and that we needed to do something about it. Whoa. I mean, I was going to save it till like later in the podcast, but I feel like it's a perfect time to talk about how important that communication is between workers on the floor. Yeah, no, for sure. I think you never know when you're doing something alone if anyone else is experiencing the same thing until you talk to someone about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew, for example, quite a few of my colleagues in the retail space had encountered queerphobia, for example, um, from management. And then I realised, especially after these warehouse workers started talking about it, that this was not just an isolated issue. This was a company-wide problem. Wow. So that was, I think, very enlightening and just really showed how important it was that we, as the workers, you know, producing the profits for this company, which did turn up a pretty penny, <laughs> that we needed to get together. So queerphobia, actual examples of queerphobia from a company that was using the LGBTIQA plus agenda. Yeah. Like, to sell their products. Yeah. Like, are you can you think of an example that you can tell us of? I know sometimes these... The thing with these things is that they can be small and insidious when it's one little thing, but then it's another little thing and it's like a death by a thousand cuts. It's like, it really was. It's like, oh my gosh, actually, I think you're queerphobic. There was a couple of examples um, I know just within my own team where the manager had made just some off the cuff disparaging remarks about. You know, my colleagues who participated in drag culture around Sydney. Um, But I think the big thing for me, which would have definitely been company-wide, which is the fact that, you know, it was absolutely fantastic that this company, you know, was very encouraging of us, like wearing pronoun badges. Um, It was like a very kind of welcoming space in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was great. I'd never worked in such a positive queer environment before. But, and there's a pretty big but, there was a huge irony in the sense that the way they marketed their products was on a gender binary. Yeah. It was so obvious. You know, your pinks and your blues, Pins right? Pins yeah. 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 And, you know, I have people coming in asking, oh, do you have products for men? And I'm like, well... Products are products, baby. Yeah, this was a cosmetic company. Um, and I was like, skin is skin, while fully realising that, you know, how these things are packaged is not backing up yeah. that statement. Yeah, and one smells like... Freaking, I don't know, whatever masculine smells are, and then one smells like whatever feminine smells are. Um, well, I actually had an example which is a little bit different. Do you mind if I quickly talk about oh, it? Oh, yeah, go for it. And I'm actually not going to be talking about pink washing. It's more on the woke washing kind of – it was a very – it was – for me it was a racial cultural thing that I was noticing, mainly, mm. right? Um, and – as Emma would know more than almost anyone, I can't help myself but talk about cultural safety and, and, and racial issues and stuff like that in the workplace. So 
Firstly, I was 29 and a half when I got this job, almost 30. And a half, yes. Yes, the half is important, I feel, because I was very close to 30. I have a master's degree and a bunch of other useless pieces of paper. And the offer, getting my first full-time job in, quote-unquote, my industry, was 45000 a year with the superannuation in that. So it ended up being about 40000 a year before tax. So as a 30-year-old, I was going to be living off like, I don't know, $38,000 a year or whatever. I probably wasn't going to get taxed much, hey? But um, I, I argued with the owner, CEO, whatever they want to call themselves, and they complained that I was waiting until the last minute because this was about a week before I started the job. And I was like, well, I'm sorry that I was too, like, afraid of compromising my first job in the industry. Anyway, the whole it's it was a PR agency, and the whole vibe was like that they do you know things that only are for good you know yeah. social purposes, like ethical oriented PR. Yeah, yeah. So the ethics, but the ethics just didn't apply within apparently. So um, one of the things I was asked to do as one of very few brown people on the team uh, was basically we had. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but it's just like actually galling to think about Well, it sounds like if you don't laugh, you cry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's literally like because I remember crying and it was like lockdown. So it was like this extreme like, you people suck. Anyway, we had 17 images of people that we could use in our comms, in our materials, and they were from different cultural backgrounds, but there was like X amount of languages that we needed represented so my task was to take these POC from various corners of the world and basically label which other languages they could, like, represent be from, right? Right. So kind of being a bit questionable in the sense that they're using one person of colour to supposedly represent multiple nationalities or yeah. language groups. Yeah, or that's correct. And, and um, nothing wrong with that at all. Nothing wrong with that at all. So I'm just going to read a little excerpt from the the request that was sent to me because I forwarded oh, yes. it to myself knowing that one day mm. I'd get receipts. to talk about it on a podcast. <laughs> all right, so we essentially need to put forward our image selections for the CALD campaign and currently have 17 times images of talent but we need to make it work for all 55 languages. And then later on it says, I appreciate there are nuances here which also make this a strange request as, quote-unquote, not everyone looks the same just because they speak the same language. But it's a starting point as we have these images on file. I have noticed, however, we don't have talent images of our African communities at this stage. Even funnier still was that they used the image of my own step-grandmother for the Tamil image, right? Yeah. And I got an email with a couple of people CC'd in being like, look, we think she doesn't look Tamil enough. She's too fair-skinned. Is there anyone else we could use for the Tamil? And I emailed back being like, it is literally my step-grandma and she is literally Tamil. Like, yeah. Like, anyway, so... This exa- this lengthy example that I've just given our poor audience is th- that kind of like woke washing that does not translate to within the organisation. I, I mean, think, yeah, I think at the end of the day, there's kind of two issues here. The first is that it's just simply hypocritical in the sense that they yeah. claim to be 
you know, promoting, um, you know, cult and persons of colour as part of their PR strategy. And that's meant to be a good thing while at the same time not treating their workers with dignity and respect. But then the second thing is that at the end of the day, the consumers and the customers are the ones that lose out because then they're not getting an authentic product, to put it in very bland terms. But I, I feel like because there's nothing much we can, well... I shouldn't say that there's nothing much we can do. Join your union. But taking away from the consumer side, maybe it's with like worth looking within what an organisation can do within them mm. so that it's not actually woke washing, so that they're actually selling a product and that they can feel like they're providing it genuinely. I don't think corporations care enough about this stuff. That's what it com- kind of boils down to. But in terms of like any other work organisation, you know, just like, creating some safe spaces and, like, listening to the voices of people from marginal groups. I think, yeah, with my kind of experience with that company I was working for is what did end up happening. Um, and, again, this was after I left, but I found out because I was still in contact with some of the warehouse workers, was it was at the end of the day like a question of unionising because mm-hmm. what happened was there was such a divide between management and the warehouse workers and the shop floor workers that it was almost like they were at an impasse but what the workers ended up doing was like right we need to essentially unionize and make sure that we're actually able to communicate with management properly sit down and what the union did was they got everyone at the same table and they went from there which was so much better than where it was because um, what these warehouse workers was describing was literally you had your management up on another floor looking down at the warehouse mm. and your warehouse workers having no communication, like no way of passing anything up other than through like a chain of people. There was no kind of open door it sounds policy. Like Amazon. I mean, it was. Amazon That's what the impression I got from, you know, chatting to these warehouse workers. I was like, how has this company gotten away with this for so long? And I think the answer is woke washing. But, but I feel that, you know, like you were saying before, if you're actually genuinely consulting with your workers yeah. that and encouraging unionization, I think at yeah. the end of the day it does benefit the company itself. You know, I don't have to go out and tell people, hey, I actually don't buy products for this company because they do not practice what they preach. Yeah, and like, you know what, word travels fast. So it really having does. those conversations actually does, they should genuinely be worried about people making having those conversations. Which leads us to what we wanted to talk about, about open conversations within, you know, work, like, with your colleagues. That's how you tackle things like pay inequity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if there's anything we could say to the people listening, it's like, definitely try to have those conversations, hey. Yeah, for sure. I think where unionising starts yeah. is just that first conversation you have with someone. Yeah. And that is actually the basis of unionizing. It's where our power comes from is when you have all those conversations. I think the important thing to note is a union is great even at a good workplace, a workplace that is actually progressive and does generally want to see, you know, positive change in the world but also wants to practice that within as well. A union is great for that Mm -hmm. because a union can figure out, okay, let's sit everyone down, let's figure out the best way forward so everyone's on the same page. Yeah. Make this workplace better. There doesn't have to be. You don't have to be in dire straits to have a union in, although that also helps too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. And that your case is like case in point. 
right? Like it was the union that ended up coming in and sitting everyone down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, that company was, as far as workplaces goes, one of the better ones I've worked at, right? It was by no means, you know, uh, sometimes felt like Amazon, but it was no means in Amazon, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think it was the idea that, okay, we want to be somewhere better. Yeah. And that's yeah. why. Totally. It's things so important can, to be a new member. too. Like, mm. we wouldn't have even been having conversations about blah, 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 washing and blah, 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 washing, you know, a decade plus ago because no one kind of cared, really. Or, like, you know, it wasn't like part of the national conversation to like be conscious mm. of the environment oh well maybe yeah and to be conscious of like lgbtiqa plus community members that are like you know still oh my gosh still like literally on the receiving end of violence i just yeah. sorry i just feel like i just want to quickly say that like we're always thinking about like victims of like things like what happened in Colorado and like yeah anyway I just feel like it would be disrespectful to not say um rest in power to the people who's uh who are unalived we went away and had a little look at some greenwashing examples because you know our brains are too full with too much knowledge Emma and it's obviously pushed some greenwashing examples out of our brains so we've gone and had a look. I think first things first, do we want to give like a quick definition of what greenwashing is? Yeah, I think we should. Yeah? Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I view greenwashing as attempts by mostly major corporations to demonstrate that they are climate friendly mm-hmm. um, in order to make profit. Mm. Um and in fact, their practices are not yeah. so climate friendly in real life. Uh, uh, environment friendly in general. Yeah. Yes, that's pretty much exactly right. So I guess they are reacting to like society's kind of like you know expanding knowledge of what we're doing to f up this world, <laughs> f up this world, and then that's their response, right? Like to market and make themselves look like they're doing it in the most sustainable way. But a lot of these companies, just the sheer their sheer existence, they just they can't it's function. fundamentally opposed yeah, 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 to exactly. any climate action. Yeah, exactly. But also that like they can't exist with their business model and actually be environmentally friendly and sustainable. Yeah. So some of the examples were things like fast fashion brands. I won't name names, but I think you know. Who yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it was Oxfam who released a report yeah. about a month or so ago that named and shamed quite a few of these brands where... And some surprising ones were rated as being really, really good. Mm. And some surprising ones were rated as being really bad. Which is perhaps testimony to how great marketing teams are, those yeah. particular companies. Yeah, very true. Um, another example for, you know, just listeners to like be consciously aware of is a lot of like plastic bottle, like water bottle. Yes, I know I'm drinking from a plastic water bottle. Don't look at it, Emma. (laughs) But it's the same old plastic water bottle I've had for a while. That's my answer. But, um, yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll try to make themselves look very green and planty and, and all that stuff, but that, you know, they're just fundamentally destroying the planet yeah well yeah big energy companies is an obvious one um i what are we doing we're listing these as a way of kind of, we just want like listeners to like 
I think it is a question of critical thinking. Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Like use your yeah, use a bit of critical thinking. Yeah, what, yeah. once you know, um, I think that there is that duplicitous approach that is happening. It is a lot easier to spot once you know yeah. that that's happening or that's out there. Because um, I think it is, you know, so many of us who, you know, both of us as fairly young people who have been fairly active in climate space. Emma just said fairly young because I'm not that young. <laughs> Over 25, like, I can't get youth allowance anymore. Um, But I think as most of us young people who will be directly or, in fact, are directly affected by climate change, you know, we want to believe the best of people and of companies because we're all in this together in one way or another, right? Yeah. And then it really is crushing when you realise that, oh, I'm just being used as a consumer who is out here to buy your goods. Yeah, it is. Yes, that's very true. Very, very poignant. <laughs> well, I think, um, you know, obviously it is a lot to navigate, you know, who's decent, who's not. Um, mm. I think for me, obviously going online and checking out, you know, not only these companies' pages, but, you know, looking at your various environmental groups, see what yep. they're saying. Um, yep. Choice Magazine, if you're looking at kind of consumer products, hey. are really an excellent resource for figuring out who's great and who's not so great regards to actually promising no, some of these things. That's, that's actually really helpful to know. Um, and I think just generally with climate things and how big brands and corporations function in these spaces, I have a lot of respect for the work the Australian Institute does in that area. Yes, yes. Um, as well as we the love their reports. We love it. Yeah, yes, absolutely. We're always hands down here for Australian Institute <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and they are brilliant. Um, and, uh, you know, things like things – like Banks, for example, or super banks that if you do your research, you can find banks that are divesting from um, coal and, and other dirty forms of energy and investing in, like, uh, cleaner forms of energy. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I remember um, I was living in Canberra at the time, and I remember seeing heaps of fantastic unionists turn out at Stoppadani rallies. And mm. what was amazing as part of that particular um, campaign moment was we saw banks realized that there were many many workers and you know australian people against mm-hmm. um the proceedings of what was happening with the adani company trying to go ahead with a massive mine in queensland mm-hmm. and these banks you know i think commonwealth um yeeted out of there in about 2015 after a lot of massive campaigning and the others were pretty quick to follow after that Mm -hmm. just because yeah people came together like no we're not gonna you know stand for the banks who we are customers with supporting this endeavor i feel like that is brilliant that goes to show case in point if you rock up show up and be loud and there's enough of us, we can actually force massive corporations to do things that we didn't think we'd be able to. And also for the older audience who are wondering what it is to yeet, could you <laughs> um, could you translate this yeet context, to millennial for us? Um, to chuck out, to get rid of. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Throw off the top of the Okay, bill. thank you. <laughs> and um, another thing I feel like it kind of fits into that woke washing is like excessive use of the First Nations flag by corporations that aren't doing much at all in furthering First Nations issues. I think really, you know, obviously coming up to a massive referendum campaign, mm-hmm. we're seeing that already from our conservative politicians. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, and we're seeing them essentially try and co-opt Indigenous communities into promoting their own Ugh, agenda. Yikes. Which is pretty nasty. 
in some good news, we have seen their respect at work bill yes. become law. Excellent. So is that to say that they are implementing all of the recommendations? or So for a bit of context, um, this was something that was put forward to the Scott Morrison government mm. who refused to implement any of the recommendations in this particular report. Now, Wait, you're telling me that the Morrison government didn't care about women? Yeah. No way. What? What? Yeah, so obviously it was really fantastic news when the Labor government in its first federal budget said we will fund all the recommendations in this bill and now that bill has become law and the main point I think for us considering our discussions is the fact that the onus is now on the employer, employer to yeah. protect workers and make sure that there is a safe workplace for them mm-hmm. and protect them from sexual violence yeah. and that can be from clients, that can be from customers and within the workplace itself that is some good news um, also in some good news is that there's like no, I, I don't know. I have no more good news. <laughs> you can leave this in because it feels telling that we need to keep fighting so that we have some good news to tell. No, there is a bit of good news happening in IR and stuff like that, but stay it's probably tuned. a whole, yeah, exactly. Stay it's tuned. probably a whole on-job episode of its own. Um, yeah, well, thanks for joining us. I mean, Emma, thank you for having me on. Oh, and thank you to Francis for having us too. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Francis. Um, and uh, make sure you uh, join the union. <laughs> Ciao. Bye. Thanks to Cleo, Cruz and Emma Hartley for that chat here on The Job. That's a wrap for this week. The industrial relation laws that Cleo hinted at passed successfully and you can check out the full disclosure from last week uh, where I sat down with Sally McManus to talk about the implications of all that. If you'd like to hear see more from Cleo and myself, check out The Bulletin, the program that we do each week on the Australian Union's YouTube channel. Don't forget, join your union, australianunions.org.au and I'll catch you on the next edition of On The Job. Bye for now.